This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's up, folks? Welcome to the show. This podcast is set to come out October 3rd, and so unless you are listening to this about four months late, deer season is open. Oklahoma archery deer season is open. Oklahoma archery bear season is also open. We made it, guys. All the hunting seasons, they're either here or they're very, very close. And so pat yourself on the back. We made it. All the hard work in the off season, all the long time waiting, all the research, all the map scouting, all the blood, sweat, and tears throughout the entire year, it has all come together and it is finally time to put those things to use. So so congratulations. I uh, I can't wait. Uh, I'm recording this before October 3rd, obviously. Uh, what's today? Today's the, the 28th. That's when I'm doing this intro. And so I have not yet got to go hunting, but I am planning to go hunting this weekend, and I'm very excited. I actually think I might have a small chance of killing a deer opening day. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be taking the longbow after one of our management bucks that's been showing up. We still have a couple more days. Uh, The deer have definitely been shifting in the last week. I've been watching my trail cameras, and uh, man, it's insane. I have one buck that went like 1.2 miles in a day and a half. Uh, he hit one feeder and then went to on to another feeder. Another buck I've been watching, he went about 650 yards that same night. That's the crazy thing. They both showed up at the same spot, which was different than where they had been in the same night. And so whatever crazy, weird genetic trait that deer have, it it's happening and they are shifting to their fall patterns. So it's, it's exciting because you, you know, they're kind of getting to where you're going to be hunting them. It can also be frustrating this time of year because it's like, man, this buck has been here. He's been coming in every day to this spot. And then all of a sudden he's just gone. So it's just part of it. It happens every year and, uh, you know, just make the best of it. So, so yeah, we have a very well-timed podcast this week. Uh, one that's been in the works for a little while, We are talking to the one and only Mr. J.D. Strong, and if that name doesn't ring a bell, J.D. is the director of the Department of Wildlife and Conservation here in the state of Oklahoma, and uh, and we have a great conversation today. We kind of run all across the board, uh, mostly in the hunting realm. And, uh, man, I, I come out swinging. Uh, the first topic we, we hit home or hit on is CWD. You know, is it here? What's the state doing about it? Um, and then we, we cover whitetail, mule deer, bear, elk. We kind of just go through it all. Um, you know, Oklahoma is an extremely unique state. Um, and we have all these amazing species and it is up to the department to manage all these, uh, on both public and private. And so we have a fantastic conversation 
Um, I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I learned a ton. I learned a ton um, about some of these critters, and then just a, a lot about the regulations. Uh, not necessarily the regulations, but more uh, just the conservation side. You know, what our state is doing to manage all these animals. So, very, very good episode this week. And uh, because I feel like this one's kind of important, um, I don't want to, like, bog down this intro. And so, I'm going to do the whole thing where I go ahead and just jump into the interview. And then, if you want to stick around... Uh, at the end, I'll just, you know, ramble on like I always do and kind of update you guys with what I've been up to. Um, I did, I was in a stand last weekend, not for deer, but for hogs, had a little encounter, uh, an arrow was released. So if you, you want to hear that story, stick around and I'm going to talk a little bit about my deer season also probably. So, but, uh, again, important episode here. So we're just going to jump into it. So, uh, that's going to do it for this intro for the moment. Um, I'm going to run my ads and then we will jump right into it with JD right after this. Deer Lab is the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. From photo recognition to tracking individual animals, Deer Lab Trail Camera app saves you time, is easy to use, and works with all trail camera manufacturers. Deer Lab makes it drop dead simple to track specific animals or groups of animals using your trail camera photos. Profiles allows you to understand patterns by date ranges, times, and camera locations. Deer Lab's heat map allows you to visually see how a profiled animal moves at different times of the year. For all of these features and more, check out DeerLab.com, and don't forget to use Oklahoma Outdoors for 20% off. One lake, all day, all yours. That's the Private Water Fishing motto. Private Waters Fishing is a member-based fishing club that offers a superior outdoor experience and some of the best bass fishing in Oklahoma and Texas. Private means private. When you reserve a lake, you have exclusive access and no other member on the lake with you. These are professionally managed and stocked lakes, most of which are over 10 acres in size. If you want to get in on the action, call 214-871-0044 or go online at privatewaterfishing.com. Arrowhead Land Company has one goal, to help the hardworking landowners of Oklahoma and beyond. Founders Will Bellis and Andrew Schultz have years of real estate experience between them and will use it to help you either buy or sell that little piece of heaven. Real estate is one of the oldest and safest investments you can make in this great country of ours, so it makes sense that you want to trust that decision with someone who really knows the business and wants what's best for you. And it certainly doesn't hurt if that person knows a thing or two about hunting also. Check out Arrowhead Land Company for all your land buying and selling needs. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show, and pretty much every time I have a guest on, I like to say we have a special guest today, but this time I really, really mean it. We have a very special guest today. We are talking to the director of the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conversation, Conservation, wow, I already screwed up, Conservation, Mr. J.D. Strong. How you doing, J.D.? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing just fine. It's been a been kind of a crazy day, but uh, I'm excited to just kind of wind down here and, and talk about Oklahoma's wildlife with you, so I'm pretty excited about it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to give you a, a little chance to just kind of introduce yourself before we uh, jump into things, so uh, before we get going too far into this, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, J.D.? Well, um, I like to... Uh, I, you know, it's great that you introduced me as a very special guest and all that, but um, all I'll say is I'm just a regular Oklahoman from western Oklahoma, fifth generation, grew up in uh, Custer County. My family 
has landed there in northern Custer County five generations ago and um, and basically raised in that agrarian lifestyle and um, was taught by my great-grandpa at an early age how to hunt and fish and love everything outdoors and conservation and um, so not all that special in the grand scheme of things if, um, if you ask me but um, chased my passion uh, through science in high school and a wildlife ecology degree at Oklahoma State and um, kind of meandered around in the uh, environment world, water resources board, secretary of environment, doing natural resource work. And um, I think this is my 30th year with the state and my sixth year on with Department of Wildlife. And when the uh, director of Department of Wildlife job came open, I absolutely had to go for it once in a lifetime chance and um so thrilled and honored that the wildlife commission put their faith in me and as mike gundy would say i have my new york yankees job <laughs> that's right that's right that's awesome yeah i uh i just saw a clip this is very random and off topic but uh i think it was just a couple of days ago was the uh the 15th anniversary of mike gundy's uh rant on tv that he had yeah uh, and, uh, i'm 40 i'm a man <laughs> that's right that's right my brother i'm trying i can't remember my brother played for oklahoma state just for a year or two and that was either the year he played or the year after he played so my brother was a huge gundy fan and so yeah that's that's great yeah. to bring him up so <laughs> well awesome jd so uh yeah i'm I'm excited about this um i got some hopefully not too tough a uh, stuff to bring up but uh you know one of the things that is just so awesome about our state and honestly when i started this podcast i i didn't even realize myself quite how diverse oklahoma was it's landscape it's you know animals and you know in one corner we have mule deer and antelope and in the other corner we have alligators and so it's just a very unique state and and i'm sure along with that it comes a lot of of challenges as far as the management and everything so um so yeah i have several things i'd like to kind of to discuss here and and just you know with as much knowledge as you can possibly answer with uh just you know help us help me educate our listeners just kind of about the great state of Oklahoma and, and how the department is just managing our wildlife. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Awesome. So I'm, I'm going to give you the hardest one first, cause I, it's the one that I'm kind of most curious about. And I think a lot of my listeners are, um, you know, Oklahoma has a fantastic whitetail deer herd. Um, and there's a big topic, you know, nationwide topic. It's CWD chronic wasting disease. And so, uh, I guess my first question is just kind of a broad one. You know, has CWD been detected in Oklahoma? So we actually did, within the last few weeks, have our um, first test positive in the native deer herd two and a half miles south of Cimarron County in Texas. Um, and it was a roadkill five-and-a-half-year-old buck, um, and they routinely – uh, in fact, in, in that part of Texas, just south of Cimarron County, they've had about three years of CWD detects, and so it's just kind of been a matter of time before it crept close enough to the border where we needed to kind of kick in and take action. So mm. I think we put, um, you know, the press releases out a week or so ago um, to let people know we got our first hit close enough to the border that it will require some additional 
action on our part just to make sure we do everything we can to keep it contained and not let it spread. And so, yeah, we're now um, activating our CWD response plan that uh, our commission um, approved just a couple of years ago. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's tough. It, you know, you you almost knew it had to be coming, and I guess we were kind of fortunate that it hadn't come quite yet, and we kind of got to watch some other states deal with it and everything like that. But uh, so yeah, that, that's interesting that it, it just popped up. Um, and I guess kind of along those lines, you mentioned you were gonna, you know, y'all, the state was gonna start taking some action. Uh, what are some of those, you know, what are some of those things that y'all are gonna put in place uh, to try to protect the rest of the state? So we're leading up to deer season. We will um, continue to deliberate and work with Department of Agriculture and others involved to see what measures we may need to put in place. You know, the the sort of default is we will definitely need to implement protections to keep the transportation of carcasses out of that area of southern Cimarron County from being transported anywhere else in the state. So um, that'll mean making sure that essentially the brain and spinal cord of any deer or elk coming out of that southern portion of, of Cimarron County don't go anywhere else in the state. So it will, it will allow um, hunters to take clean skull caps or, or detached antlers, uh, capes, and deboned or quartered out meat with them out of that area uh everything else needs to stay behind in the area keep it contained to the region where it's coming from so we don't infect the rest of the deer herd in the state and i would hope uh, most of our hunters are interested in in that same sort of protection Uh, whether or not it requires anything in addition to that uh, remains to be seen but we think given that this is in an area that's pretty sparsely populated with deer. Um, not a lot of hunter harvest happens in Southern Cimarron County relative to, uh, the rest of the state. It's, uh, we probably don't have to take too extreme or too drastic measures, um, to protect the herd at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, I believe, uh, the state has put into place like, uh, you know, taking deer across state lines. Like, I don't believe you're allowed to bring out-of-state deer into Oklahoma to, like, a process or anything, correct? That's correct. And, and that's mm-hmm. similar to what's happening in this case. So the, our commission passed rules a year or so ago to keep transportation from out-of-state into the state, brains and spinal cords. So very similar mm-hmm. precautions, um, clean skull plates or... Um, you know, detached antlers, capes, okay, deboned or quartered out meat, few other exceptions, but don't bring anything, don't bring anything else in from out of state. Um, mm-hmm. In this particular case within the state of Oklahoma, also don't, you know, practice those same precautions. Don't take anything out of this area in southern Cimarron mm-hmm. County to any other place within the state. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Oklahomans are known for being fairly independent. Not a lot of people here like to uh, be told what to do. 
And sure. I know a lot of people have different thoughts on CWD and, you know, some people don't even want to admit, admit it exists. I think we're kind of past that point. You know, I think it's here, but, um, as far as just like testing and stuff like that, do you ever see a point to like mandatory testing? Um, or even like, let's say I kill a deer and I voluntarily want to get it tested. Is there any resources? Like, a, is there a place I can send it to get my meat tested, uh, in the state right now? Yeah. So, um, first of all, it's not a meat test. So you got to test some, um, other portions of the deer to, to, you know, just to see if you get a detection. It's, it's typically not found in the meat, but, um, you know, I think it would have to be a pretty extreme situation before we tried to impose mandatory testing, um, voluntary testing. Yes. You know, I think in a case like this, where we're sort of, we have it confined to, um, you know, an area in Southern Cimarron County, we will probably, um, do what we can to provide voluntary testing services where we pick up the tab, we take the test, all that stuff, or at least send the test off to a qualified lab. And then mm -hmm. if you want to voluntary, voluntarily test a deer statewide, we don't have the resources available to do that right now. But we um, may be able to cooperate with uh, the vet lab at Oklahoma State University, for example, to pull the samples and send it off to one of those certified labs at like Colorado State or um, one of those places that there's about a handful of labs uh, that are set up to do this test um, nationwide. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I, uh, you know, I hope it obviously doesn't spread, and uh, but it is good to know that y'all are aware of it and uh, are ready to take actions if you need to. So that's that's good to know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, before we move on from CWD, any other thoughts on it, or you kind of spoke your piece on it? Anything that you want to let people know about it? No, I think that's it. I, I think the important thing is um, we don't need widespread fear. This has been around since the 60s, at least, in, uh, that we know of in uh, Colorado and Wyoming. And we've not seen state deer herds being completely wiped out. Um, by the same token, we don't want to take it too lightly. Um, the best mm -hmm. bet is to try to keep it contained. It's like the spread of feral hogs across the state of Oklahoma, you, you're going to have a hard time eradicating it, but it's, uh, you know, best practices to put in place, to try to keep it contained so that it doesn't, uh, affect the herd widespread across the state. Gotcha. And the gotcha. important thing too, I think is, is that it's never, ever been, um, demonstrated to make the leap from animal to human. So, uh, at right. least based on the data and information we have, humans don't need to be concerned about eating what could be CWD infected animals. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing is just trying to keep it contained so it doesn't affect um, and, and wipe out any other deer or elk populations across the state. Gotcha, gotcha. Awesome. Well, you uh, you covered the hard one already, and so uh, it's all downhill it from here. Easier. It, that's right. That's <laughs> right. And so I want to I want to talk about some of these unique species that we have across the state. Um, you know, a, a lot of people. Uh, if you talk to people who aren't from Oklahoma, 
A lot of people don't know that we have elk. A lot of people don't know that we have bears and some of these other species. And so I want to talk about it a little bit just because I think it's something that makes our state unique. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk about elk here just a little bit. Um, and uh, Oklahoma has two like very distinct different herds. Um, you know, they have the western herd and the eastern herd. Um, so how does the state go about managing each of those when they're they're almost like two completely separate things? You know, what kind of unique challenges does that hold? You know, so it's interesting. I think we've, I think our elk herd has maybe grown to the point where we don't have as much of a distinction and a divide as we may have had in early years. Um, certainly, you know, the elk, even though native to Oklahoma, um, was essentially extirpated at statehood or around statehood uh, from market hunting and that sort of thing, and then reestablished in the President Teddy Roosevelt years uh, at Wichita Mountains National Wildlife Refuge, and that today continues to be the strongest core herd of elk in the state of Oklahoma, and where we see the majority of the harvest of elk occur in our state in and around that refuge. But the fact of the matter remains, we've got elk um, pockets, probably the best word for it, scattered throughout the state. I think last time I checked, we've had elk harvested in over 50 of the counties in the state of Oklahoma. So, you know, we've got elk at Cookson Wildlife Management Area, Pushmataha. Um, there's elk in Dewey County. There's elk around um, Gene Autry, um, kind of between Ardmore, Tishmingo, that area. Um, there are elk scattered across various parts of the state. In fact, we had one of our biologists that harvested a nice bull elk during archery season up at Venita, Oklahoma, and none of us could figure out exactly where that elk might have come from. But they're, um, they're out there, and they're scattered throughout. And so, you know, we continue to manage them with a the quota system. And depending on where you are in the state, it's no quota essentially in that special Southwest zone around the Wichita refuge. Uh, and then there are varying quotas in other parts of the state, depending on where you are and what we're trying to do to make sure we don't take more than they can, um, recruit and re reproduce and recruit back into the herd. So, um, it's challenging as wildlife management is, but it's also fun and also, as you sort of alluded to, it's fun to um, especially talk to people across the U U.S. or even the world about the pretty impressive elk herd that we have in the state of Oklahoma as we've worked over the years since statehood to reestablish elk in various areas. Yeah, I know this. Whenever I have a somebody on who's you know killed an elk or been on an Oklahoma elk hunt, the traffic on that episode goes way up. It's it's definitely something that a lot of people are interested in, and uh, you know I like most people have been putting in for my once in a lifetime tag and and uh, hopefully going to draw it someday. Uh, it makes you feel uh, any better. Yeah. I haven't drawn either, so. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I, uh, I had a guy on this last fall who uh, drew his very first time, and he's not the first person I've heard talk about that, but I guess he's just luckier than we are. Sometimes it happens. Uh -huh. 
Um, but you know, there's uh, a decent amount of chance to hunt elk on private land, as you as you mentioned. Sure. And uh, so that's another thing I had a, a question about is like, you know, what is the you know most people when they think, or at least you know, from, from my uh, point of view. Most people, when they think of elk hunting in Oklahoma, you know, they're dreaming, like I just talked about, of that once-in-a-life elk tag, uh, you know, in the Wichita's or eastern Oklahoma or something like that. Uh, but you can, you know, pursue them on, on private land as well. Um, what are the challenges of also managing, like, a private land elk herd that you don't have as near as much control over? You know, you can't just storm onto somebody's private land and say, hey, you can or can't do that. I mean, you can do a point, but... Uh, just what are the challenges of also managing a private land elk herd? Well, I think it's no different than the challenges of managing private land wildlife all across the state, whether we're talking about white-tailed deer, mule deer out in uh, far western Oklahoma, hell, bobwhite quail, and several other species. When you live in a state where over 95% of the land area is privately held, you need to have, we as an agency have to have relationships with private landowners if we're going to have a real impact on wildlife management. And our hunters need to have opportunities to engage private landowners in the opportunity to hunt. And so it's no different whether it's elk or whitetail or mule deer or any other species on that landscape. And so yeah, it can be challenging, but um, I think that's why the, you know, over-the-counter elk tags and coupled with the, the uh, quota system um, works. So those private landowners that are around and near the wildlife refuge uh, where there is no quota uh, have the opportunity to sell access to their property for the opportunity to go score a big elk. And really anybody has that opportunity across the state. Of course, you're not going to pay much for that opportunity if there aren't any elk in that part of the state or, or the opportunity is really slim. So, um, but beyond that, I think, you know, the quota helps us um, try to ensure that we don't harvest from a particular area anything more than we think is being um, added to the herd. Um, and then we usually like to have a positive return. So making sure we harvest less than what's being added to the herd through reproduction and recruitment at the end of the day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. My, uh, my brother was in the army and he was stationed at Fort Sill for a little while and uh, he'd you know be driving into the base and see the elk and everything, and but uh, he said there was a very stark difference once that uh, once that elk season opened. He said you didn't just see them driving down the road anymore. Yeah, they're pretty smart. They're pretty smart and pretty savvy, and it's a great opportunity to provide a shameless plug for the fact that you can go on our website right now and enter a raffle for the second year in a row. We partnered with Fort Sill to provide somebody with an opportunity to get a rare. Uh, opportunity to go hunt a bull elk on Fort Sill um, next January. So be sure to check out wildlifedepartment.com for that opportunity. Okay. Awesome. That's a great plug. Great plug. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to one of our other amazing critters here. I want to talk about bears a little bit. Um, and I think bears almost surprise people more than elk when they hear that bears are in Oklahoma. Yeah. 
and uh, that it seems like the bear population is just going crazy. It seems like new counties are being opened up every year, and, and quotas are either going up or just going away. Um, but one interesting thing about the bears is they, you know, bears were not introduced into Oklahoma. If I, if I, I believe I'm correct in saying this, they were actually introduced into Mississippi and then spread from there to Arkansas and then from Arkansas uh, to us here in Oklahoma. So uh, what's it like manage, managing a species that, uh, you know, not necessarily here by choice? Yeah, so I think um, there are a lot of competing theories out there, and who knows what was happening in, you know, 1800, 1700, mm-hmm. 1600, keep going back um, to when our First Nations were here. But I think most would agree there was a native bear population. It was totally extirpated um, early in settlement years, uh, colonization of Oklahoma. And then um, there was some reintroduction in Arkansas as well. So we believe that the um, population in the Washita Mountains and the Ozark Mountains is what has grown and expanded and started to fill back into Oklahoma where they belong, where they were before. And while I wouldn't call it an explosion, like bear populations don't really expand exponentially or grow in an explosion type pattern. It is a um, slow growth species um you know they have a litter every two years at most and um they um maybe have one two or three cubs at that and then mortality is about 50 percent for those cubs making it to adulthood so you're not going to see an explosion but we've certainly seen a healthy growth of the black bear population in Oklahoma. And you're exactly right that, um, it's shocking every time we post something on social media or put something out there about bears in Oklahoma, there are so many people that are shocked that we even have bears in Oklahoma, but it is true. And the population's healthy and growing. And we've, we, as a result, will continue to have, um, several more newsworthy encounters of, of human wildlife conflicts with nuisance bears or bears causing problems. But, uh, that also presents an opportunity for us to grow and expand the hunting opportunity for bears just to kind of keep that population, uh, in check and where we want it. Because at the end of the day, hunters are the apex predator for a species like that. And there's nothing else out there that's going to kind of keep the uh, population managed and where we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's uh, it's kind of funny to me. It seems like not a lot of people in Oklahoma really pursue bear, um, and I'm not sure why that is. I'm, you know, I, I hunt southeastern Oklahoma, and we don't have bears on our place, but we're not too awful far from it. And uh, A few years ago, my brother and I, got on a lease up in the mountains specifically for bear you know we were there after bear um and it was a big timber lease and there's a bunch of other people there and uh everybody we uh you know ran into or talked to and 
you know, we'd be like, oh, you know, we're here for the Bears, and they'd be like, oh, good, you know, and like they just, you know, a lot of them seemed almost annoyed by the Bears because they'd get into the feeders or chase off their deer, um, but we didn't talk to anybody who was actually hunting them. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, like, you're here already. You have this stuff set up already. Like, all you got to do is buy a tag. Uh, but it just seemed like there there wasn't a whole lot of interest in the hunting community. Um, and it just blows my mind. I would absolutely love to put a, a tag on a bear. Yeah. So there's several factors involved there. First of all, it's a greater challenge. Um, we don't allow rifle hunting. So you got to be into primitive forms of hunting, whether it's archery or muzzle loader. Um, you also have to commit early that you're going to buy that hundred dollar bear tag, even if you have a lifetime license. Uh, and if you're, a, um, non-resident, you're gonna have to buy the $500 bear license. So it's, uh, a big commitment up front. And then most people know, you know, it depends on any given year what the acorn crop is, whether that season's going to end quickly and you're not going to have a chance. Yep. Um, it requires some sophisticated baiting techniques, um, to have a shot and, you know, it's a much more complicated hunt than taking your 17 HMR out and going after squirrels. Mm-hmm. Yep. We, uh, we learned that acorn lesson the hard way when, when we, we, uh, my brother and I, we committed it and it worked great that there was two of us because we could switch off weekends. I would go up one weekend and bait both of our, you know, sets and then he would go up the next and, and we both had some some decent bears on our cameras and everything. And then I, I want to say it was three days before the season opened, a big windstorm came and knocked all the acorns down, and everything just went cold. It was so over. It is definitely yep. It is definitely a challenge. And uh, I will say I I like the that y'all you know you have to buy the tag early. I think that you know keeps a lot of people honest. I think that's a, a great decision y'all made. Um, but I would definitely, you know, encourage anybody listening to, to give it a chance, you know, give it a try. Cause it, you know, it'll make you a better hunter and, uh, it's, it's just fun. It's something different. You know, like I think a lot of people think to have this big adventurous hunt, you got to spend a bunch of money or go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, we have plenty of, of adventure right here in our own state. Absolutely. No, I think you absolutely should partake. Um, all those things I described were kind of engineered biologically to make sure, that the hunting pressure matches the ability of the population to withstand that hunting pressure. So um, all of those things, even though people grouse about the fact that it's expensive, it's not included in my lifetime, why can't I use a rifle, why do I have to commit early, it's all really designed around the fact that we're trying to make it a little more difficult for people Mm -hmm. to go pursue bears because we don't have a giant population of bears in the state of Oklahoma. And we want to match the level of pressure with the amount of bears that we have on the landscape that are uh, able to be um, pursued. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to switch to uh, my personal favorite, uh, the old white-tailed deer, something that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people nationally um, – I, I, I guess I'm trying to say Oklahoma's kind of getting on the radar nationally. I, don't, I think a lot of people never really thought of Oklahoma when it came to whitetails, but uh, you know, lately just we have a, we have an awesome population. We have some some big whitetails, and so I think a lot more people are looking at Oklahoma. True. And uh, one one really hot topic, and I don't know if you've uh, heard it or not. I'm sure you probably have. Uh, we have a lot of people, and I've had people on this podcast talk about it. Um, 
and uh, basically having the idea of they don't like the two-buck limit in Oklahoma, and they want to go to a one-buck limit because they think it would improve the trophy potential of the state. Is that something that's even on the department's you know radar? Yeah, so as much as people debate all their ideas about how we should implement additional restrictions on deer hunting in Oklahoma on Facebook, we debate it even more huh, within the Department uh-huh. of Wildlife. So we go uh-huh. round and round all the time, biologists looking at all of our data and information, the science, the harvest information, to try to make the most informed decisions possible. And at the end of the day, you know, we have an overriding desire to provide the most hunting opportunity possible and at the same time grow the health and strength of our herd. And so you sort of led off this segment with, man, we have an amazing deer population and it seems like our stock is growing in the nation. And that is exactly true. We're getting more and more hits and articles and so forth on the fact that Oklahoma is, in many cases, a top 10 state for whitetail deer hunting. And um, so my big question back to everybody is, why would we change anything? We're on a great trajectory. The age class of our deer being harvested every every year gets bigger and bigger. Uh, The health and the weight. Uh, every other measurement of buck harvest and everything else looks better every year. So why would we change anything? If nothing's going wrong, it's always getting better. Why would we change? And so that's kind of the overriding thing for us. You look at actual numbers of people that harvest more than one buck uh, in any given season and it's very low less than uh, i was gonna say it's well less than 10 percent, and may even be less than one percent so most people don't take advantage of that second buck that they can harvest uh we also hear routinely non-residents are um <laughs> taking all of our deer texans are taking all our deer we're in football season now so let's be anti-texas right um, uh-huh. that, if you look at the overall harvest of deer in the state, it's still single digit, um, harvest of deer coming from non-residents in our state. So a lot of the things pe- that sort of get people twisted off about how we do deer hunting in, in Oklahoma are unfounded or unnecessary when you look at the actual harvest. I mean, as long as we're on a positive trip trajectory and the health and growth and size of the deer herd continues to grow and improve um you know why why change anything if it ain't broken don't fix it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i uh I, i took a poll on my social media page just a few weeks ago before we even had this set up and obviously instagram is incredibly scientific but i'll share my results with you uh, so I said, you know, would you rather go to one or would you rather have two? And I had quite a few people uh, respond to the post, and uh, I was kind of surprised. It came out it, literally exactly 50-50. Um, some people wanted it, some people didn't. Uh, and I got plenty of feedback with it. And uh, obviously, yes, the number one thing I got was non-residents only get one tag. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I understand, like, 
you know, that non-resident money, that more expensive tag, that, that helps the state out a ton. You know, that raises a lot of money for the state. Um, yeah, and I, I think a, it's important I, to know it's not just it benefits the state because we don't even get any appropriations. So that money comes to the Department of Wildlife, and we turn around and plow it right back into mm-hmm. improvements in our wildlife management areas and better law enforcement and all mm-hmm. kinds of other things that benefit our residents. So millions of dollars come in from non-residents buying deer tags. And while it's, you know, sometimes unpopular, it's a big source of revenue and income that we can basically grow the opportunity for residents to hunt and enjoy a safe hunt and ensure that um, poachers aren't winning the day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and uh, I, I'm a fan of the two bucks. I, I, I love to hunt. Uh, I have killed two bucks a couple times. But for me, that, that second tag, I like to use it almost more of a, as a management tag. You know, that older buck that is not, you know, good genetically or anything like that. Um, but uh, I did have somebody uh, comment that I, I really liked this one. And so I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. If you want to bring it up at the meeting, you know, you're welcome to. Uh, but his idea was to make the second tag slightly more expensive than the first tag. So that way, you know, it, it, it discourages people who are just going to buy that tag and shoot the first thing they see. They have to, you know, maybe it encourages them to take a doe. Um, but for people like me and a lot of my listeners who are, you know, enjoy deer hunting, maybe a little more hardcore or just want that management aspect, it gives them an opportunity to still kill that second buck. The state makes a little more money, and, and I think you could apply that to non-residents too. So I, th- I, I just thought I'd pass that along again. Uh, you know, I'm no uh, biologist or anything like that, but I did think that was a pretty good idea. Well, and so what you have to worry about there more than anything, and I'm not saying it's not a idea not to be considered, but um, more than biology, you've got to look at the economics, and we actually – had some sophisticated price testing work done by a national firm. And what you find is people are pretty price sensitive, like adjusting something by even a couple of dollars um, makes people change their decision. Like I'm just not even going to invest in that second one. Or if they're non-residents, I'm not going to hunt in Oklahoma. I'm going to hunt in Kansas this year or some other place. So uh, it's especially true with non-resident deer hunters. If you adjust prices just by mere dollars, you can lose them as a customer to another state pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And economic research um, shows that, bears that out. And we've got um, some research that was done just a couple of years ago that, that shows that. Gotcha, gotcha. Good to know. See, learning something. <laughs> All right, well, well, I want to shift gears real quick. I think this is my, might be the last thing I have for you today. Uh, I do want to talk about mule deer real quick, um, and, and nothing too specific. Um, I, I remember looking at the uh, the National Deer Alliance. Uh, it used to be two, like QDMA and something else, and they all combined. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they put out a, re- a report every year, the Whitetail Report. Um, and it's always really interesting to dig into that thing. And I remember, I want to say it was maybe the 2019 report that I was reading because it always comes out, you know, one year later. Um, uh, in the very back, they had a mule deer section, and Oklahoma was on it. 
And I want to say Oklahoma was one of only like two or three states in the whole country that actually had a growing mule deer population, at least for that year. Um, and so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, does the state, I mean, do they do anything special or differently to manage mule deer as opposed to whitetails? Yeah, we do. So um, we have such a relatively small population of mule deer in the state of Oklahoma. So, you know, you can almost, depending on their migration in and out from Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, um, you know, you can see some skewed results from year to year um, because they're mostly confined to the panhandle, not completely, but mostly. Um, you know, that's a little little strip of land, and I don't want to diminish it for our, our panhandle friends. Um, uh-huh. cause I worked out there at the Hitch Ranch in Guymon and loved the land and loved the people. But that strip of land from a mule deer's ability to migrate perspective is pretty insignificant, man. They can go in and out and immigrate um, pretty quickly. So depending on when you take your surveys and samples you know you could see ex- pretty extreme growth or declines in that population so i think most of our folks would say you know we've kind of got a stable for the most part mule deer population we do manage them differently we've got different zones we of course are much more protective of doe harvest when it comes to mule deer versus white-tailed deer most of the state we would encourage a lot more doe harvest and we don't at all in the mule deer population just because that's the best way to try to grow and make that population more stable. So we do manage them differently. Uh, It's another species that people don't um, really equate to Oklahoma. And we've talked about that several times from bears to elk. Um, And as you kicked off, early in in the interview antelope to alligators um Mm -hmm. mule deer another one of those we certainly have them certainly have a i think a healthy population that waxes and wanes depending on migration patterns and a lot of other factors uh we do manage them differently in terms of protecting does against harvest and trying to allow them to continue to reproduce at a faster, better rate than whitetails in the state. Um, and trying to think if there's anything else we do to better manage, but I think that's probably the key things. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. I got a, I got one last question that I almost forgot about. And then, uh, and then I want to open the floor and give you a chance to just, you know, say anything you might need to or want to say to the people. Um, and uh, what was that question? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, you talked about, like, you know, having the press release with the CWD and, you know, every year there's always some rule changes and stuff. Uh, if somebody wants to keep up with the department and, you know, what's going on in the state, where's the best place to follow along? I would say wildlifedepartment.com, our, our website, is the single best place to find everything. We've done a lot of work in the last year to revamp that website and try to make it easier to navigate, quicker to navigate, quicker to find what it is you're looking for. And we're constantly refining it to 
try to make it easier. And we're always interested in more feedback and input if, if somebody is finding it challenging. But, um, you know, our lots of people are following our social media channels, and that's fun and interesting. But a lot of times when we're putting out information, we try to channel people there to the website because that's the most robust set of information regarding everything we've talked about today and then some. And uh, I, I was going to throw that out there. Whoever runs y'all's social oh, – man, I can't talk today. Whoever runs y'all's social media account needs a good high five. They uh, they put out some very entertaining, uh, you know, some just jokes, but also very informative content. So it's a great place to follow along. Yeah, I agree with that. We've got a great social media team. They've really stepped it up, and there's some crazy stuff that goes out there that <laughs> hunters and scientists would probably question, but – it draws people in and it allows us to get the opportunity to educate them on the importance of hunting and fishing to wildlife conservation in the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, JD, real quick before I let you go, I want, I should have uh, given you more of a heads up on this, but I want to just, just give you an opportunity to talk to the people. You know, if you had anything you could say to the hunters and anglers and outdoors men and women of this state, um, is there anything that's just you know been on your chest that you've been wanting to get off or, or let people know about? Um, I think I would just say thank you. Um, in this nation, in this state, hunters and anglers have basically underwritten wildlife conservation, fish and wildlife conservation, uh, through the purchase of licenses, through the purchase of hunting and fishing equipment, um, all of that stuff is what makes up our budget at the wildlife department, not taxpayers. We receive no appropriations from the legislature, from the taxpayers. And so thank you to the hunters and anglers across the state for basically supporting this. And it's the same is true for most of the states in the nation. Um, I think being a fifth generation of Oklahoman, I would say, please love and appreciate the fact that you live in the most eco-diverse state mile per mile of any other state in the country. We talk about antelope to alligators and everything in between uh, with 12 distinct eco-regions. We are tied with Texas and only California and Alaska have more eco-regions than we do. Obviously all three of those states, way more land area. And so within this relatively speaking much more compact area we have so much opportunity to get out there and pursue such a diversity of species both fish and wildlife and man we love it and we're so passionate about it at department of wildlife and we have um the best staff in state government the most longest tenured staff in state government um we love what we do serving our hunters and anglers and other people that love the outdoors every day. And none of it happens without the purchase of those licenses, um, ammunition, uh, hunting and fishing equipment, you name it. So thank you to hunters and anglers and your audience for supporting what we do and helping us provide the best outdoor experience you can have anywhere else in North America. Well said. Well said. I appreciate that. And I'm sure all the listeners do too. And, uh, you know, on behalf of everybody, 
thank you uh, to you and your team, the whole department, for everything you guys do um, and just the job that y'all do to help us get outside and enjoy this great uh, creation that we have. Awesome. Hunting season, let's go get them. That's right. That's right. Yeah, this one's going to drop in perfect time for that. So, well, JD, I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule uh, for you know joining us and answering some of these questions. And uh, man, anytime I can use this platform to help the department get the word out or, or make an announcement or anything like that, I'm always willing to do so. So, thank you for coming on, and I hope you have a great rest of your evening. Thank you, and to you as well. And there we have it. Thank you, J.D., for coming on. That was super informative. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, I learned a ton from this conversation, and it just kind of gives you, you know, the department's perspective on all these issues that we talk about on Facebook and Instagram and amongst ourselves. So uh, great explanation for all that. And uh, again, huge shout out to JD. Thank you guys for listening to this. I hope it was good. Uh, I'm going to talk for a few more minutes here. Uh, Just going to tell a quick story of a little hog hunt I had over the weekend. Um, but the, uh, yeah, if you don't want to hear that story, go ahead and shut her down, but, uh, hopefully stick around cause I think it's a pretty cool story. All right. So I'll try to make this as quick and concise as possible, but, uh, long story short, my brother had bought a new boat. He bought it from our great uncle actually. And he had been wanting me to come out with them the first time he took it out. Just, you know, new used boat. Uh, they had kids, the lakes were real low and everything. So this last weekend, my wife and I packed the baby up. And uh, went out to the lake with them. And I told my wife when we were packing up, I was like, you know, I know I'm not going to have time for it. But I'm going to bring my longboat just in case. Because I'd had a bunch of pigs come into this one feeder, you know, pretty much every evening. And I knew we were going to be on the lake. Uh, I was actually bringing my boat also because uh, my brother wanted to take one of his son's fishing. He'd been promising for a long time for his birthday that we'd take him fishing. So I thought the plan was for us to go to the lake with the whole family. And then we are going to, you know, go back to the house get my boat and take it out, uh, take his son out fishing for the evening, my nephew. And so that was the plan. But again, brought the boat just in case. Um, so anyway, we're out there on the lake and, uh, I mentioned something about fishing that evening and my brother's like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, I thought we were taking Todd fishing this evening. He's like, Oh, I thought we were doing that tomorrow morning. And so, uh, you know, talked to my wife real quick because I, I, you know, I hadn't been planning on staying, uh, overnight or anything like that. Uh, she gives me the okay, and so I was like, all right, yeah, we'll go fishing in the morning. Of course, in the back of my head, I'm like, hey, that means I can go hog hunting this evening. So, so we finish up at the lake. Uh, college football's going crazy. There's upsets everywhere and stuff. Um, uh, we get off the water, and, uh, I run to the gas station because I was dying of thirst. I bought a, a, a Gatorade and, like, a Snickers bar to hold me over. Uh, ran out there. I had all my stuff with me. Uh, I brought a change of clothes and everything, so I, like, get dressed in the pasture and uh, I start, I leave my truck at like 6.15 to start walking to the stand. It's like 98 degrees or something like that. I think that, I think it hit 100 that day. And so I'm just like pouring sweat. I didn't shower, so I smell like lake water and sweat and just nastiness. But the wind was perfect. And so I get into my stand, have my longbow. I have two arrows. And, uh, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm going for it. So I'm um, sitting there. I'm trying to watch the A&M Arkansas game on my phone, but I you know, was kind of down in this little creek bottom, so I didn't have good service. And uh, I hadn't been sitting there maybe 20, 25 minutes, and uh, I start hearing grunts. And I was like, all right, they got to be coming. So put the phone away, 
And uh, actually, I take that back. I took a video. I left my phone out, turned the camera on, have my yeah. I grab my bow off the hanger. I'm sitting it in my lap, and uh, three pigs and a couple piglets come out. And I'm filming with my phone. And as I'm kind of you know getting my phone back in my pocket and getting ready to take a shot, two more big pigs come out. So I got five adult pigs. And they're at 16 yards. And uh, the craziest thing happened. My heart started racing. And uh, you know that happens when I see a big buck. But uh, I've just I've killed a lot of hogs. I've killed them with about every weapon there is. Um, I even have two with my like concealed carry nine millimeter. Like I've just killed a bunch of hogs. And so it's not super exciting for me anymore. But sitting in that tree stand at 16 yards with the longbow, my heart was about to beat out of my chest. And uh, so I'm sitting there, I have my fingers on the string, and I'm ready to draw, and I'm being super patient. Like these pigs, you know, they're they're at the corn, their heads are down, like they don't, they have no idea I'm there. The stand, it's only 16 yards away, but I'm about 8 feet up, so I'm not crazy high, but just high enough out of their view. And uh, so I'm sitting there. And uh, I, I kind of pick out the pig I'm after, and like all five of the adults were about the same size, so I wasn't trying to like necessarily go for one or the other, but this one was kind of is on the right side, kind of out away from the feeder and everything. And uh, she gets ready once, and I go to start drawing. She turns again, so I let down, and uh, finally she steps out. She's like dead even with the feeder, and that's what I'd range, so I know she's at 16 yards, and she's slightly quartering away. Um, I was waiting for that perfect shot. And so I draw and I'm looking down my arrow trying to get, you know, the right sight picture. And it kind of all rushes over me at once. Like just, just how complicated the longbow is because, you know, I've been practicing with my target and I, and I realized a couple weeks ago, I think I mentioned it on here, how important it is to like change up the sight picture. Like if you're just aiming at the same spot, like if you're trying to hit the same bullseye every time with the longbow, you eventually just figure out where you need to aim on that target in order to hit the bullseye. And so I had been like turning my target on its side and upside down and rotating it to where there's different circles and everything like that, trying to just change that sight picture up so I couldn't rely on that. And so pull back, think I get the right gap in my arrow, and release. And I thought that I nailed this pig. Uh, The arrow looked so good. It was perfect left and right. Looked a little bit low, and uh, and I heard a thud, but it, it wasn't a solid thud. But again, like this is the first time I've ever even shot my longbow at an animal, so I don't really know what to expect. And so the pigs go running off, and I'm I'm all jazzed and stuff. And uh, I, I think I just nailed this thing. I actually thought I had got a heart shot on it. And so I'm sitting there taking the moment in. The pigs just barely ran off. They ran like 30 yards into the nearest brush, and we're just hanging out there. Like, I could hear him kind of rooting around, rustling around, trying to figure out what the heck just happened. And uh, so I'm taking it in, and then the doubt starts creeping in, because I look down, and my arrow is sitting right where the pig was. And so right away, I'm like, man, I couldn't have got any penetration, or the arrow would have, you know, gone in the pig. And so I'm sitting there, and uh, I have I take out my, my last arrow, my, the second arrow I'd brought. And I'm thinking these hogs are going to come back out because they hung out in that brush for a while. But eventually I hear them kind of trickle off. But I, I kept hearing this deep breathing. And so my hope was that I had hit that pig pretty good. And it was in there dying and, you know, struggling for breath. Um, so anyway, I wait a couple more minutes. The breathing stops. I climb down and I go and I inspect my arrow. And when I look at my arrow... I was even more confused than before, um, and uh, I should have saved all my stories. I, I chronicled all this on my Instagram story. Shout out. Y'all should go uh, go follow me on there. 
Um, but anyway, I pick up my arrow, and there's no blood, hair, content, and like nothing until you get about three quarters of the way back, and then there's a ring of blood. Everything above that is covered in sand, and so I couldn't figure out what the heck happened. And so I, I brought my pistol with me just in case. Um, I'm looking for blood. There's you know blood where the pig was standing, but not much. Um, I start tracking where it walked off. I find like two more little spots, but nothing. I mean, it definitely wasn't gushing or anything like that. Um, I go ahead with my pistol and you know do kind of a body search and follow the trail because again, I watched them go in and everything. Didn't find any more blood. Didn't find a body. Didn't find anything like that. And so. Went back to the scene of the crime, looking at it again, and I think what happened, this is kind of, you know, after the fact, breaking it down, I think, and playing it back in my head, that I just barely grazed that pig's stomach, or you know, not stomach, but chest, like right behind the shoulder. Um, originally, like when I saw my arrow sitting there, I thought I might have hit the shoulder. I don't think that's the case. Uh, just the, That doesn't match up with what was on the arrow. I think I just barely grazed its chest right behind its leg. Basically, the broadhead, you know, hit just barely hit it enough to slice it open. The arrow buried in the sand and then kind of bounced up, and uh, the arrow hit the pig, and that's how it got the blood on it. And then the big pig, as it was running away, kind of kicked the arrow out of the dirt because it, it wasn't stuck in the sand. You know, it wasn't like a miss. Again, I heard something. I watched it go through. And so, long story short, I think I just barely grazed it. And, uh, man, it was so frustrating because everything was so perfect. Um, I drew blood, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that pig is still out there running around. Um, and uh, I came home, pulled out my target, stepped off 16 yards, shot two arrows. Both of them, I think one of them I was two inch from the bullseye. One of them I was three inch from the bullseye. So, again, like, I, I think it's just that target thing. Like, I know where to aim on the target because I've practiced it so many times. And so I got to figure out some, I got to buy a new target or get a hay bale or something. I got to figure out a new, a, a way to like get a different sight picture. Um, so I've been practicing again this week. I'm still planning to take it out. I'm really, really glad that I got that warm up with the hog, uh, before I go and try to kill a deer with this thing. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling more confident again, been practicing more this week. Um, so yeah, so that's my hog story. Uh, I'm just over an hour here, so I'm going to go ahead and shut this thing down. Deer season's here, guys. I hope you guys have been practicing. I hope y'all been shooting. I hope you've been, you know, running your cameras and feeders and food plots and hanging your stands and all that stuff. I hope everything's ready to go, and, uh, it's killing time, guys. So, so that's all I got for you this evening. Uh, stay tuned, because we have a lot of content coming up this hunting season. Uh, again, I'm going to be chronicling my whole year, uh, you know, taking you guys along with me with all my hunts, telling you what I'm seeing, what's out there, and uh, we have a great, great hunting season ahead of us. So thank you guys once again for listening to the podcast. I really, really mean it. I enjoy uh, interacting with you guys, talking to you guys, y'all talking back to me. Uh, social media has been great. I've been getting a lot of input from you guys. Keep it up. Uh, if you have some success, shoot me a picture. Um, you know, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook, whatever you want to do. Uh, and let's just kind of, you know, let's grow this community. So yeah, that's it. I'm about to get out of here, eat some dinner, go to bed and, uh, in two or three days I'm going to be hunting. So hope you guys are too. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you once again. And until next time, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. <laughs>